Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, The Songs of Ascent. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. province of God, we find ourselves today on Psalm 127, that is Pew Bible, page 518. And as you're turning there, I will tell you why I say, as I should about most things, is uh, we've ended up on Psalm 127 in the providence of God uh, for this reason. Uh, When I read the psalm, if you've not yet already memorized it, you're going to see how appropriate it is for today's baptism. I laid out the schedule months ago, having no idea what day the baptism would be, and in God's providence, He has provided this psalm for us. And I want to encourage you in this, even before I read the psalm, this is one of the blessings of being faithfully in God's Word um, Sydney and I have, have read through the Bible. I, I tell folks, I don't say this to brag. I'm just telling you as a matter of fact, I've read the Bible cover to cover so many times. I've lost count how many times I've done it. But there are times in our Bible reading plan where something will be going on in our lives and we'll be on our daily schedule and reading that and it will be so pertinent to what's going on in our lives. And we'll be re- we do this number right here. She'll sit over across from me, you know, coffee in hand, reading Bible, and I'll look up and go, did you just read that? She's like, yeah, that's incredible. It happens so many times, it's uncanny. And that's how God works. Just like laying out for us Psalm 127 on the day of the sacrament of baptism. Hear now the blessing of God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, make your word a swift word, passing from ear to heart, from heart to lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, upon first reading this psalm, it may seem that Solomon has joined two different topics together into one psalm. We are first warned of the vanity of work and its resulting anxiety, followed by the described blessing of children having children early and often. And so my question right out of the gate is this, why has Solomon combined these two different topics of work and children into one psalm? The answer is found in Genesis. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. There was a word spoken process on each day of creation. But what was the pinnacle of creation? Now, Scripture is very clear. The pinnacle of creation was not the heavens and the earth, but man. Creation was not geocentric. It was not biocentric. It was anthropocentric. Out of all creation, it was only of the human species that God said this, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. But God did not create man without purpose. He did not create us without responsibility. He gave man the creation mandates. And for those of you who are students of your Bibles, you know that there are two creation mandates. That of procreativity and that of productivity. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And so the blessing of work and the blessing of children was from the very beginning of creation. It should not surprise us then that both work And children were affected by the fall. To the woman through whom the earth would be populated would come the pains of childbirth. To the man by whom the world world would be worked and kept would come bread by the sweat of his brow. And so the creation mandates of productivity and procreativity were impacted by the fall. But though they were impacted by the fall, it did not negate their continuation. And, and this is the key, it did not impact their blessing. And so I want to start with this, just as as Solomon does in this psalm. I want to start with the blessing of work. The blessing of work. Genesis recounts this. On the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested, concluding creation, but not His ongoing work. Jesus clarifies this when He said, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. In fact, Scripture tells us that Christ is at work in this nanosecond, sustaining our existence. I mean, just for that, we could praise Him, could we not? Our existence, moment by moment, is sustained by Christ, Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1. And so God works. And because you and I and every human being are made in His image, we were created to work too. Work, then, is a blessing from God. But sometimes it feels like a curse. Part of the problem can be the drudgery of mindless and meaningless work that never engages our God-given talents. And many people carry this burden. Work that engages our skill, our intelligence, our knowledge can be incredibly satisfying. Like God's gifting and commissioning of Bezalel 
and Aholiab to construct the tabernacle. What you and I have, we have received. And what we have received, God uses. Yet even work that uses your gifts, even work that uses my gifts, even work that we love, Warren Buffett famously said that he, he dances on his tiptoes on the way to work every day. I don't. And I love my job. And I find it incredibly fulfilling. But sometimes my feet drag on the way to work. It can weigh us down. And in some cases, work can weigh us down to the point of us saying, I am miserable. Now consider the significance of the lyrically beautiful metaphor in this psalm. The bread of anxious toil. When I read this psalm, I thought, that's an entire sermon. Just those few words, the bread of anxious toil. It's so beautifully graphic. Think about it this way. When we pray, as we have today, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray for our daily bread. And God provides. How does He provide? Well, possibly He could rain it down from heaven like He did for the ancient Israelites. That's always a possibility. I've never seen that before, but I would imagine it's a possibility. But typically, how does He provide for our daily bread? Through work. Through the blessing of work. And when the blessing of work becomes worrisome work, even bread can taste like a burden. Some believe, like the Thessalonians did, that the answer is to give up, drop out, free load until the Lord comes back. Well, Paul had a few choice words for those slackers, didn't he? Do you remember what he said to the slackers in Thessalonica? If you don't work, you don't eat. Like, I'm, I'm not a bumper sticker guy. I want that bumper sticker, right? Yeah, pull up. You don't work, you don't eat. Oh, it'd have to be conjugated, wouldn't it? Not a double negative. But nevertheless, the answer to the problem of anxious toil is not sloth. It's glory. Not yours, not mine, but God's glory. Rightly does our shorter catechism say, the chief end of man is to... Maybe we could all say it together. The chief end of man is to what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If the chief end of your work and my work is our glory, and we may justify that work, by the way, by saying, well, it's ambition, or it's personal fulfillment, or, well, John, you don't know the responsibilities that I have. Well, we can justify it a number of ways. But it is in opposition to God's design and will inevitably be accompanied by anxiety-ridden days and sleepless nights. It is no mistake that the first half of this psalm ends with sleep. This is not God's gift for His beloved. Anxiety-ridden days and sleepless nights. On the contrary, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you remember what he also said? He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What we see in both the birds of the air and the lilies of the field is dependence. Not upon our own but upon the Lord's provision. God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent upon Him. For this reason, Solomon begins this psalm with the areas that we are so often prone. Self-dependence. Provision and protection. And so Solomon says, Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Has your work led you to believe that you are your own provider? The builder of your house? If so, you are sure to be worrisome. You are sure to be weary. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Has your wealth led you to believe that you're your own protector, staying up all night guarding your world? The sage says, when your eyes light on wealth, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. If your sense of security is rooted in what you have accumulated, what will save you when it's gone? When we put our trust in the Lord as our provider and depend upon Him as our protector, here's what happens. It reorients our work. It reorients our work. When we see the Lord as our provider, when we see the Lord as our protector, it reorients our work. Admittedly, this isn't easy in a world that rewards godless self-reliance. I am a personal case study of this. As a pastor, I am consistently thinking that you can't go on without me. You've got to have me. And I'm visiting with a brother at our General Assembly this summer, and they had gone for, I think it was, I'm looking for Brandon. He's not here. I've given him the story. I think they had gone for two years without a pastor. And I said, how's the church doing? It's great. We're growing. It's going great. I'm like, oh, I'm disposable after all, right? <laughs> well, you are too. <laughs> the fact is, <clears throat> as one pastor explains, as Christians... As Christians, we really do believe that God is the central reality of all existence. We really do pay attention to what He is and what He does. We really do order our lives in response to that reality and not to some other. Paying attention to God involves a realization that He works. And because He works, we can too. Casting all our cares upon Him, Peter says. He works in our work that we may trust in His provision and His protection. And in His provision and protection, we may truly rest.
for he gives to his beloved sleep. The second area that I want us to look at in this passage is the second half of the psalm. Blessing, the blessing of children. Now the creation mandate gives the command, doesn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. And then it gives the purpose. Fill the earth. And in that creation mandate, blessing is implied. But in the psalm, we see that Solomon elaborates on that blessing. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. We are commanded to reproduce. And what God commands, He gives. And what God gives is good. The fruit of the womb, as it is translated in this psalm. The fruit of the womb is not a curse, but a reward. Solomon uses the word heritage, or that Hebrew word could also be translated inheritance. Conveying not only the immeasurable value of children, but also the undeserved gift that they are. Not to be taken for granted. No one merits. No one deserves children. Just as no one merits or deserves an inheritance. But God gives them, or rather He gifts children, according to His purpose. Not our purpose. This, of course, does not mean that a family is not a family without children. Let me be clear. For reasons known only to God, a husband and wife may be unable to have children, often inexplicably. And this calls for wisdom. One pastor cautions, quote, Fertility is not a matter of merit, nor is God punishing you if you can't have children. Infertility is not a matter of demerit. God gives as He chooses. And fertility and infertility are in His hands. In the unknown, as in, look, let's be clear, as in all things, this teaches us to trust the Lord. But that the Lord gives doesn't mean it's easy. Just as God gives the blessing of work, And work is often hard. God gives the blessing of children. And every parent knows that kids can be difficult. Raising children can often be expensive. Raising children can often feel less like an inheritance and more like anxious toil. Anxious toil without sleep, right? But this too requires... Wisdom. Because you see, the wisdom that God gives teaches us that duty and delight are two sides of the same coin. As one commentator observes, it is not untypical of God's gifts that they are liabilities or at least responsibilities before they become assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that children will be a handful before they're a quiverful. (laughs) <laughs> well, they, they are. But knowing it takes perspective and it takes patience. And I can say from personal experience, both perspective and patience are in short supply when I was young and my children were young. I had neither. Solomon teaches us, he teaches us in this psalm to look beyond those early years. To look beyond their childhood And in doing this, he curiously employs 
warfare weaponry as an image, as well as a ready defense. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, right? (laughs) What's that mean? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I mean, how in the world are children like arrows at the younger years? Well, it's actually quite practical. Having children when young means that they will be grown and helpful when you and I are old. As you age, your vulnerabilities increase. And were we Baptists, someone would have just said amen. But by God's design... There stand your children, like sharpened arrows. And Solomon says, the more arrows, the better a blessed quiver full. This, of course, is so countercultural that it may even sound foreign to some of us. I can't believe he's preaching this. I can't believe that he's going into this. It seems, well, it seems... So contrary to what the world says. <laughs> Go figure. I love the way that comedian and father of five, Jim Gaffigan, puts it. He says, big families are like waterbed stores. They used to be everywhere. Now they're just weird. <laughs> well, in a culture that is increasingly finding the Christian faith and the truth of Scripture just weird, the church must respond with resounding support of families. Not only because families and children are a blessing, but because it's by God's design. God created marriage as one man and one woman in covenant union before God for life. Within that unit of marriage, the man and the woman, if possible, will have children. And I find this so incredibly curious and and some of you may know this, the common wedding ceremony that was used by English speakers, English-speaking Christians, for hundreds of years was the wedding ceremony out of the Book of Common Prayer. And in that ceremony, I don't know when, sometime in the 20th century, the first portion of that was deleted. And you never hear it read anymore. Unless you're a nerd like me. And you go back and you look at what was said in wedding ceremonies for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The book of common prayer begins with this. The primary purpose for marriage, you're going to want to buckle your seatbelts. The primary purpose for marriage is, and I quote, Marriage was ordained for the procreation of children, to be brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord and to the praise of His holy name. And I hear that and I I have to laugh. I, I think, how about that setting a tone for a wedding? And I think, well, dearly beloved, we're gathered together today for these kids to have kids. I'm thinking people are going to leave. Procreation within the bond of marriage is by God's design. And because it's by God's design, it is a blessing and it is a beautiful thing. But when we reject God's design, it has ripple effects well beyond the family. For example, consider not only the blessing, but the necessity of having children. While the rallying rallying cry for abortion once was the fear of overpopulation, 
Some of you have probably already read these statistics. Now, the World Health Organization is telling us that one of the greatest threats to civilization is underpopulation. It's listed as one of the top threats underpopulation. In 2019, a columnist, Wajahat Ali, gave a TED Talk titled, The Case for Having Kids. The video went viral. It is unbelievable how many times that video was viewed. It was as if few moderns had contemplated the interconnectedness of generations and the necessity of children for ongoing civilization. But he who wrote, there is nothing new under the sun, also wrote, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As it turns out, we didn't need a TED talk to tell us the truth, did we? The city gate as it's referred to in the psalm, was the ancient locale for settling disputes. You might think of it as a casual courtroom. It was the place where people would come and settle financial transactions as well as legal disputes. Disputes. Should someone have a charge against you, it would be dealt with at the gate. But when you show up at the gate and your enemy is there, Solomon says, you're not alone. Because at the gate stands with you a quiver full of arrows, a ready defense and protection. Or I'll put it this way. If you want to come after me, you're going to have to do it when I'm alone. You're going to have to do it quick. Because if my kids are around, you're in trouble. I got two big boys. You're really in trouble. And they won't unleash their sister. She's tougher than they are. But today, our enemies are often those unseen. Our enemies often overlooked, lurking just outside the gate, so to speak. In his book, What to Expect When No One's Expecting, Jonathan Last provides a few of these potential enemies. Listen closely. An aging population, a shrinking workforce, a declining tax base, a decrease in technological and industrial dynamism, Difficulty in finding a spouse, empty buildings and crumbling infrastructure, unfunded entitlements, and a general disquiet as more and more people get older and sicker with fewer people to care for them. Our enemy, as it were, is approaching the gate, and our defense is a quiver full of kids. But the importance of children is not merely social, it's spiritual. Kevin DeYoung, a fellow PCA pastor in North Carolina, wrote an article recently in which he says this, Though individuals make their choices for many reasons, as a species we are suffering from a profound spiritual sickness, a metaphysical malaise in which children seem a burden on our time and a drag on our pursuit of happiness. Our malady is a lack of faith, and nowhere is the disbelief more startling than in the countries that once made up Christendom. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, God promised a delighted Abraham. Today, in the lands of Abraham's offspring, that blessing strikes most as a curse. As the offspring of Abraham, and as a church, 
We need to wake up to how the world so easily deceives us. And we need to rally behind our young families, praying for them, encouraging them, supporting them. Perhaps right now, you could pray about how you could help a young family in our church. And what ways can you help care for the children of our church? Today in the baptism, you as a church will take a vow. And you will vow that you will pray for and support this family and this child. That's an active engagement. Don't take it lightly. And if you can't agree with the vow, don't agree. A truth that seems lost on many modern Christians is the biblical model for healthy church growth is not marketing. It's babies. We need to encourage our children to get married, to raise their children in the church, and to enjoy lifelong marriage and the blessing of children so long as ye both shall live. Jesus said this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. That analogy runs like an undercurrent through this entire psalm. We come not to the Lord as workers of anxious toil who have merited God's favor, but how do we come? We come like children. Children who bring nothing but need. He who is always working, worked on our behalf, becoming our eternal provision, our eternal protection in His life and death and resurrection. And because of the work of Christ, we become God's children Not by our choice, but by God's grace. Through faith in Christ. These are gifts from our Father. They are gracious gifts from above. And it is by God's grace that we live out our faith in this blessed life that He gives us. Working as unto the Lord. Raising children for His glory. And always, always trusting in His provision in Christ. Church family, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word and that by your design, this has been our psalm for this Sunday. We thank you for the blessing of work and we thank you for the blessing of children and we pray that you would bless us as a church. We pray that we would be faithful to help support and help our young families. And most importantly, we would encourage and direct them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which teaches us that we must become like children to enter eternal life. That we, as needy and dependent kids, must depend upon your grace and trust in our Savior Jesus Christ. Oh God, may you be glorified through your people. May you be glorified through this service today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at 
www.cpcfs.org.